Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. is the Tom Hartman Program. Greetings, my friends, patriots, lovers of democracy, truth, and justice, believers in peace, freedom, and the American way. Liz Holtzman is on the line. Elizabeth Holtzman is the former U.S. Congresswoman. She represented the 16th District of New York. She's the author of several books, most recently, The Case for Impeaching Trump from SkyhorsePublishing.com. Congresswoman Holtzman, welcome to the program. Thanks so much, Tom. It's great to be with you and your listeners. You were a member of Congress during the Nixon impeachment hearings. I was part of the House Judiciary Committee that voted articles of impeachment, and I'm proud to say that I voted for the articles of impeachment against Richard Nixon. So I'm one of the few people still remaining, still standing, who knows about the process, the only time that it really worked in a bipartisan, fair way that withstood the test of time. Right. Thank you for joining us. Tell us about the case for impeaching Trump. Well, actually, the book was published about a week and a half ago, but (laughs) the evidence keeps climbing day by day. The book makes out a case on a number of grounds. It says that there's enough evidence now to commence a serious inquiry. You can't just impeach because you don't like a president. You can't just impeach because you don't agree with his policies or her policies. There has to be solid evidence that a president has committed treason, bribery, or other high crimes and misdemeanors. And you can't really do that in a snap kind of way. It's not a gotcha moment. It's a very serious moment for the country. Not, so not if you want we, it to be successful anyway. I mean, that's what they did with Bill Clinton, and it didn't work. And you want to follow what the Constitution requires. Which right. Is, and can okay. you summarize the case? Yeah. First, you have the charge that he has interfered with, impeded, attempted to hinder, an investigation into criminal conduct. And that's one of the grounds that was used against Richard Nixon. Second ground is abuse of power. The failure to take care that the laws are faithfully executed. His total refusal to acknowledge the Russian interference in our elections and lead the country in taking appropriate action to defend against it. Third ground would be his taking of emoluments. The president has not divorced himself from his business. The Constitution plainly says that you cannot, a federal official cannot take money from a foreign government or from state or local governments, but the president has appears to have done that, and not just once, but systematically. And there's a very easy remedy, which is you can go to Congress and say, Congress, please let me take these emoluments. And the president has refused to do that. Hmm. And so I, I think there's really no question that these are serious offenses against the rule of law, against our Constitution, against our democracy. And Congress has the responsibility under the Constitution to uphold our democracy by starting an impeachment inquiry. Amen. Elizabeth Holtzman, the book is The Case for Impeaching Trump. It's from skyhorsepublishing.com. And uh, Congresswoman, thank you so much for dropping by today. Thank you for having me. It's great talking with you, and I wish you all the success in the world on the book. Thanks. Uh, Spot on. Thank you. Quick summary of what we're seeing here. And what we now know is that Donald Trump was trying to build a hotel in Moscow. He had been trying to do that for a decade. The Russians had been largely ignoring him until it looked like he might become the Republican nominee. And he was being taken seriously by a lot of Americans. And at that point, whether it was the Russian government or the Russian oligarchs or both, there's not a lot of separation between the two. 
they thought, huh, might be a good idea. Sure, let's, uh, let's talk to him about a Trump hotel. Michael Cohen has said that he told Donald Trump about a phone call he made to Moscow in 2016. During the 2016 election year, the first six months of that year, Donald Trump is running for president as the nominee of the Republican Party. And it turns out the day after he said, Russia, I don't know where the uh, emails, Hillary Clinton's emails are, but you know, if you can find them, the press will treat you really well. But literally the day after that happened, according to Mueller's investigation, that's when Russian hackers started trying to penetrate the DNC and Hillary Clinton's servers. Well, I guess she didn't have her server anymore. But that was, that was the day that they started trying to penetrate the DNC. And then after the election, Trump wins the election on a couple of lies, on one lie that he wasn't negotiating with Russia for a Trump Tower. He was. And had he lost the presidency, which is what he fully expected. Keep in mind, this guy hadn't even written an acceptance speech. He hadn't even bothered because he knew he was going to lose. He didn't realize the power, apparently, of all these events that were happening, including the Russian memes that were coming out of the Internet Research Bureau in Moscow. He, you know, he thought he was going to lose. And as soon as he lost, he was going to pick up the negotiations where they paused them in June of 2016. And, you know, by early 2017, he'd have he'd be building a hotel in Moscow. Life would be good. But instead, he becomes president. So in 2017, Congress wants to know what's going on. Michael Cohen is subpoenaed. He goes to speak, and he says that Donald Trump and his lawyers and the White House staff helped him write his lies to Congress in 2017, last year, wherein he said, no, Donald Trump and I were not negotiating with the Russians for a hotel in, in, in Moscow. We were not doing it. I think this one single revelation, frankly, could be the end of the Trump presidency. Oh, this is from Bob Nays News. Trump said, I hope you're able to find the 30,000 emails that are missing. I think you'll be probably be rewarded mightily by our press. The Mueller indictment in July says, quote, the next day, the conspirators attempted after hours to spearfish for the first time email accounts at a domain hosted by a third party provider and used by Clinton's personal office. And the Trump branded building in Russia was called off by Cohen the same day the DNC hack became public, which was a few months later. Russians knew that Trump was lying because he'd been lying for six months about not negotiating with Russia. And so, gee, when, when somebody's lying, you've got something you can use on. So in his sentencing, Seth Abramson uh, lays this out. He says, in his sentencing submission, Cohen makes it 100% clear that Trump paid off former mistresses Daniels and McDougal explicitly to avoid their true stories of Trump's infidelity adversely affecting the presidential campaign, right? Confirming that Trump committed election fraud, election crimes. I mean, this is a crime to hide information from the public by paying off witnesses in order to influence an election. That's a crime. Trump did that. Michael Cohen did it on his behalf, but Trump ordered it. And Michael Cohen has the audio tape of Trump ordering it. At the same time, Trump was negotiating this massive personal financial benefit with Vladimir Putin through Michael Cohen and top Kremlin officials. And he was lying to American voters about this every day. So he defrauded us in order to win the election. He defrauded voters about Daniels. He defrauded voters about McDougal. He defrauded voters about Putin and his attempts to build a Trump Tower. He defrauded voters just like he's defrauded hundreds of business people. This is the Tom Hartman Program. This is what Donald Trump does. This is his strategy, his fraud. Christine in Los Angeles. Hey, Christine, what's on your mind today? Hi, Tom. I'm wondering why it is. In the, this has to do with the... Trump Tower, Moscow, desire of Trump's. Why it is not mentioned that one of the reasons that the project did not happen is that the Russian oligarchs have been laundering money through Trump's various projects in the United States and around the world. They don't want to launder their money in their own country. No, he had a bank that was going to do it. VEB Bank is a Russian-owned bank. It's one of the largest, if not the largest, bank in Russia. And they had said to Michael Cohen 
The, they were willing to actually fund this billion dollar project. The problem was the VEB yeah. Bank, because it's Russian owned, because it's government owned, it's under sanctions in the United States. So Trump could not do business with them. So that's why Trump had to get the sanctions done away with, which is, I believe, why they altered the Republican platform just before the, the Republican National Convention, you know. Oh, I see. Well, that explains it, and I appreciate the new revelation to me. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. You're welcome. Thanks a lot, Christine. <laughs> Good talking yeah. with you. Yeah, this is, this, is, uh, you know, this is solid stuff. Trump wanted to have his hotel in Moscow. He could only get financing from the biggest bank in Moscow, which, uh, or in Russia, or one of the biggest banks, which was Russian-owned, which is under U.S. sanctions, and so he had to get the sanctions lifted. So, of course, he's talking to the Russians about lifting the sanctions. Of course, he's got Michael Flynn talking with, with the Russian ambassador saying, of course, we want to reduce sanctions. I mean, you know, he can't build his hotel if he can't get rid of the sanctions. And at the same time, he's lying to the American people about this because he fully believes that he's going to lose the White House anyway, and so it doesn't matter. His lies will never be exposed. Jill in Duluth, Minnesota. Hey, Jill, what's up? Hi, Tom. How oh, this is really exciting. I want to talk about how we can possibly attach Trump to actual charges that are criminal mm -hmm. rather than just civil to impeachment. Sure. So my idea is to look at the charges of the high treason and sedition in particular, where all he has to do is advocate or have some um, advocacy towards violence or inciting an insurrection and losing trust of the American government and its people. Now that's a high crime of treason that is, it goes over the, the fine line of free speech because as a president, he has a different obligation of PR and his messages rather are, than are, just a regular citizen. Jill, are you suggesting that basically by inciting the right, by his racist rhetoric and you know good people there yeah. too among the Nazis and not calling out the right when they're violent or threatening or bullying or whatever and role modeling for them, you know, yeah, beat him up, I'll pay your legal fees and all this kind of stuff, that by doing this as president now and, and arguably even as a presidential candidate, that Donald Trump has fed exactly. lawlessness, that he's, that he's provoked lawlessness, and therefore right. he's guilty of it? Yes, there was a Smith Act that was enacted back in the day and the other, the World War with um, the Nazis tried to do that and they tried to shut it down. Wow. Huh. But there is still a law of sedition on, the, on here, on the books, and he has violated that. Sedition. Not only would he be charged, but if he went to prison up to 20 years, Everybody in his whole candidate and all of his supporters would have to go, too. Whoa. Uh, that's going to be a big lift. Jill, thanks for the call. Thanks for watching Free Speech. You spend every day in your office chair. That's over 2,000 hours a year. So if you're spending all that time in the wrong chair, is it any wonder why you're sore and tired at the end of the day? Ditch that no-name, one-size-fits-all superstore chair and trade up to the X chair. When you feel the X chair difference, you'll understand. My X chair is the most stylish chair I've ever owned. Trust me, this is not your grandfather's office chair. Switching to the X chair, I'm more productive and have more energy. I love my X chair and you will too. X chair is now on sale for the holidays, so buy one for yourself and one for someone you love. X chair is now on sale for $100 off. So call 844-4X-CHAIR or go to xchairtom.com, that's xchairtom.com now, to save 100 bucks. And here's a special deal just for my listeners. Use the promo code TOM, T-H-O-M, and they'll even throw in a free footrest. Go to xchairtom or call 844-4X-CHAIR and use the code TOM for a free footrest. That's xchairtom.com, 844-4X-CHAIR. Today we're reading from a book by Elizabeth Holtzman, one of the former U.S. congresswomen who sat on the committee that considered impeaching Richard Nixon. And this book is titled The Case for Impeaching Trump. Just came out. This is from the first chapter titled Impeachment. When Donald Trump's presidential election victory was announced in the early morning hours of November 9, 2016, like many Americans, I rubbed my eyes in disbelief and dismay. Two questions raced through my mind. What had become of America? that a man so unfit, so small-minded, so mean-spirited could be elected. A man whose ethnic and racial bigotry had set the stage for his presidential run when he called Mexicans rapists and made racist birther attacks on President Barack Obama, who 
whose vulgarity and misogyny were laid bare in the Access Hollywood tape when he bragged about forcibly grabbing women by their genitals, whose performance at presidential debates showed him not only flagrantly ill-informed, but manifestly unwilling to get informed? My second question was how much harm this man would do to America as its 45th president. I have my answer now to the latter, less than two years after the election. President Trump has damaged American democracy far more than I would have guessed. He has refused to protect our system of free elections from foreign interference. He has relentlessly attacked the administration of justice, in particular the investigation into a possible conspiracy with Russia regarding the 2016 presidential election, putting himself above the rule of law. He has failed to separate his personal business from the country's flaunting the Constitution's requirements, and he has violated the constitutional rights of the people in separating children from parents at the southwest border without due process of law. And to cover up these misdeeds, he has systematically lied to and assailed the press. These are great and dangerous offenses that the framers of our Constitution wanted to counteract and thwart. They provided a powerful remedy, impeachment. Many tremble at the word, fearing how President Trump's supporters will react to an impeachment inquiry, worrying that it will only further polarize an already deeply divided nation, or that there will be not be enough votes in the Senate to convict him if the House of Representatives votes to impeach. Just calling for an inquiry will be viewed as a Democratic Party attack on the head of another party, a kind of coup d'etat. It's easy to find reasons to be anxious, but I'm not afraid. As a junior congresswoman, the youngest ever elected at that time, I served on the House Judiciary Committee that voted to impeach President Richard Nixon for the high crimes and misdemeanors he committed in connection with the Watergate cover-up and other matters. Through thorough, fair, and above all, bipartisan, the committee acted on solid evidence presented in televised hearings that riveted the nation, handing us the blueprint for how impeachment can be successfully pursued today. In our 225 years of constitutional democracy, the Nixon impeachment process has been proven to be the only presidential effort that worked. Though Nixon resigned, the only president ever to do so, two weeks after the committee's impeachment vote, he did so to avoid the certainty of being impeached and removed from office. We became a better nation for having held the president accountable. All of which raises two further questions. Should we be considering the impeachment of President Donald J. Trump? Will we again become a better nation by pursuing that option? To answer, we need to set aside President Trump's unremitting attacks on the environment, on our close allies, on the Affordable Care Act, and any disagreements we have over policy, as well as any personal animus, and simply ascertain whether he has engaged in the kind of egregious conduct that would meet the constitutional standards for impeachment and removal from office. This means we have to focus sharply on his potentially impeachable offenses. In doing so, we will find it useful to compare them, when possible, to similar offenses by President Nixon, found to be impeachable by the House Judiciary Committee in 1974. Here is a list of some of President Trump's potentially impeachable offenses developed as of this writing. A possible interference with or obstruction of the administration of justice and an abuse of power. On May 9, 2017, Trump fired FBI Director James Comey, who is investigating both his national security advisor, Michael Flynn, and Russia's connections to the Trump campaign in connection with influencing the 2016 presidential election. Two days later, President Trump admitted to NBC's Lester Holt that Comey's firing had to do with that, quote, Russia thing. In other words, President Trump acknowledged that he was trying to shut down the FBI investigation into his own possible conspiracy with Russia. Flynn has since pleaded guilty to lying to the FBI. The Comey firing uncannily echoes Nixon's firing of the special Watergate prosecutor for seeking highly damaging information about that president, a brazen defiance of the rule of law that triggered the start of impeachment proceedings against Nixon, a second possible interference with or obstruction of the administration of justice and an abuse of power. President Trump has persistently and publicly attacked those heading the Russia investigation, including special counsel Robert S. Mueller III and Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein, and has repeatedly condemned Attorney General Jeff Sessions for recusing himself, suggesting that he wants to fire any and all of them in order to get control of the Russian investigation. He actually did give an order to fire Mueller. The case for impeaching Trump by Elizabeth Holtzman.
Congressman Mark Pocan is with us, the co-chair of the Congressional Progressive Caucus and, and represents the great state of Wisconsin, the 2nd District of Wisconsin. Congressman, welcome back to the program. Hey, Tom. Thanks for having me. It is always a pleasure to have you here with us. What the heck is going on in Michigan and Wisconsin right now? This looks nuts. Yeah, it's um, very third world dictatorship. In Wisconsin and Michigan, Democrats won the governorship. Republicans have greatly gerrymandered legislatures in both states, so they're deciding to try to take away powers from the incoming governor, and at least in Wisconsin, the incoming attorney general's office, as they're going into the, the new swearing-in in January. So they're trying to usurp the voters' decisions on November 6th, and uh, during the holiday season, steal from the people and give to the Republican lawmakers. And uh, they passed a bunch of provisions that took away the governor's powers, took away the attorney general's, uh, made it harder to do early voting, and a whole bunch of other things. Literally late Friday, the text came out. They had a public hearing on Monday in Wisconsin. This is great. It was exact number, 1,420 against, six for information only, no one for the bill, and no one testified for the bill that they put out there. Mm-hmm. And then they voted on throughout the night and this morning in Wisconsin to move this forward. So a bunch of bad ideas uh, with no uh, public scrutiny whatsoever passed just so they could try to give power to Republican politicians because the voters decided they liked Democrats better. That's amazing. In Wisconsin, I know for a fact that Wisconsin voters overwhelmingly, well over 50 percent, voted for Democrats for the Wisconsin House of Representatives, yet it's controlled by the Republicans because of gerrymandering. I'm assuming the same is true in Michigan? Yeah, same is true in Michigan. Wisconsin numbers, I know, 53 to 54 percent of the people voted for Democrats for the state assembly, for example, Mm -hmm. and uh, we only got 36 percent of the seats. So um, there is a case at the Supreme Court right now. Uh, We're hoping that that will help to fix the gerrymandering. But, you know, this is why we need to fix gerrymandering laws around the country, because they have unbelievable consequences. Yeah, remarkable. There was one last thing I wanted to bring up with you. No Labels. No Labels was this group that rolled out a few years back saying, we're going to be transpartisan or nonpartisan or above partisanship, and we're just trying to make people work together. And whenever I hear that, I get suspicious. Tell me what happened. Yeah, so six years ago, I think just about exactly this week, um, as a freshman member of Congress coming into Congress, we had a training at Harvard, and they did a presentation about how we need to work across the aisle to get things done. Nothing about centrist corporate crap at all. It was about how to work across the partisan divide. And that, of course, makes a lot of sense for those of us who served in legislatures and others. You know, often you have split government, you have to work together. But very quickly, uh, it devolved by the issues they run on. They were talking about, you know, things like cutting back on Social Security increases and a bunch of other centrist corporate ideas. Then they started getting involved in elections, and they endorsed against Senator Udall in Colorado, which they never told us they were going to do. And, and then I guess I made the ultimate sin with the organization is I asked where their funding came from, and I was told I'd be quietly taken off the list, in which I replied, I don't do anything quietly. Uh, so you know, it's a bunch of dark, ugly money, uh, and all of a sudden this session, after never asking to change the rules under Paul Ryan or John Boehner, suddenly they wanted to risk Nancy Pelosi's speakership uh, over a bunch of rules that make it easier to have corporate-friendly legislation. So uh, I decided it was time to write this. A bunch of other folks are now exposing them as well, but as a member, I wanted to expose them as someone who, you know, it is right to try to work with people across the aisle on things you can agree on, but that's not what this group is about. This group is about making sure the special interests on K Street have even more access and power than they already have. Remarkable. Remarkable. Okay, let's pick up some phone calls here. Uh, Jeff in San Francisco. Hey, Jeff, what's up? Yeah, I just want to ask about the Postal Service, the push to try to privatize it, and work this in our Green New Deal that Ocasio-Cortez is pushing, and we could have a all electrical vehicles, solar panels on these, and it'd be a great start since we have such great approval rating with the Postal Service right yeah, the now. The Postal Service has a high approval rating, not the idea of privatizing it. And in fact, it was when, yeah. when they announced back 12 years ago that they were going to buy electric vehicles and it would be the largest fleet of electric vehicles in the United States. That was when the Republicans passed this law saying that every year the Post Office has to set aside $5 billion for people 75 years from now when they retire. Thank you, Jeff, for the question. Congressman? Yeah, so, you know, there have been attempts over my six years here to try to really privatize the Postal Service through little baby steps. Five-day delivery, not six, not-to-your-door delivery, a bunch of other measures. Largely, 
It was Daryl Issa, who now is no longer in Congress. So I think the lead advocate for the privatization is gone. There certainly are still advocates in Congress. But I think you point out something that's really important. It has a very high approval rate. We all count on the Postal Service. In the rural parts of my district, they tell me if they don't have a post office and they don't have broadband, they're not in business. So it's a crucial importance across the country. And I think now that we're in charge, I'm not worried about uh, any efforts to privatize it. In fact, now maybe we can fix this pre-funding of their benefits 75 years into the future. The only agency that's required to do it at the federal level is the Postal Service, and that's why on the books it looks a little lopsided. So, Jeff, your point is well taken. The Postal Service is a great service. We need to protect it in every possible way, and I think we're in a much better position to do that with the new majority. Lewis in Chicago, Illinois, you are on the air with Congressman Pocan. Yeah, good morning. Congressman Pocan, which districts in Wisconsin are gerrymandered, and what's so unusual uh, about them that makes you think they're gerrymandered? Yeah, I mean, well, I I think the two best examples I can give, two years ago, because I don't have the stat yet for this year on this one, 100,000 more people voted for Democrats for Congress in Wisconsin than Republicans, but Republicans got five of the eight seats. State legislatively this session, 53 or 54 percent of the people voted for Democrats on the ballot for the state assembly, and yet they only got 36 percent of the seats. So clearly the districts are askew when you have that kind of uh, an off from the amount of people voting for a certain party and the number of seats they're getting. Um, And we just know it from the last process. We saw how they drew the maps, and uh, they're not like uh, normal um, maps. They're, they're, They're done in very odd and strange ways to maintain power for the Republicans. And quite honestly, in other states, we have Democrats doing this, but far more states, we've seen the Republicans do this. Yeah, it's bizarre. It's like, uh, you know, the Yankees play the Braves, and the score is 12-10 to the Yankees, but the Braves officially won. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's, that's sort of, it's weird. It doesn't make sense. Yeah. Every 10 years, we redraw lines, right? So you're going to have a period where it's not as relevant. We still have talked about it, but, you know, it's coming up again. Now that we've elected a Democratic governor during his four-year term, we'll be doing redistricting, which is part of why they're responding, because they're not going to be able to fix the lines in the same way. But, you know, honestly, Eric Holder and Barack Obama have been very outspoken and nationally trying to do a lot around this with Democrats around the country. It's just the timing isn't quite yet where we're redistricting. So we're talking about it. This is a great example of the abuses of it. Um, But also the the way they did it so fast, it was hard to have time to do ads. Language on a Friday, public hearing Monday, vote Tuesday. Uh, It it happened very quickly. Tyrone in Laguna Beach, California. You're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Last night I was watching uh, Lawrence O'Donnell and Jerry Nadler announced he would introduce legislation to extend the statute of limitations on presidential crimes in order to avoid an impeachment. Do you think the American people deserve a full-blown hearing uh, rather than uh, having Trump just simply disappear? What do you think of that? Yeah, Tyrone, I mean, absolutely. You know, no one is above the law, whether you're the president or a lunch lady at a, at a cafeteria in school. We all have to be uh, treated equally. And, you know, Donald Trump is doing his best to delay many things. Uh, He's had no oversight whatsoever for the last two years by uh, the Republicans in Congress. Uh, We're finally going to do our jobs. But I I think Jerry Nadler's suggestion is a good one because no one uh, should be above the law. Yeah, we we already know many of the crimes he has committed. I mean, you know, uh, the campaign finance, uh, for example, paying off Stormy Daniels and Karen McDougal um, specifically in order to influence the election. Uh, Michael Cohen has testified that he did this at the request of uh, Trump, and then he provided the tape of it, of Trump saying, yeah, go do it. Um, Had you done that, there's no doubt in my mind that Paul Ryan and the Republicans in Wisconsin and and Scott Walker would have had you in jail the next day, sir. Yeah. No, I, I think oversight is one of the crucial elements. Paul Ryan did nothing, nothing uh, for oversight with this administration. Uh, one of the many bad marks on his uh, failed speakership, not only do we not get anything done other than a tax bill for the wealthiest uh, donors in this country and members of Mar-a-Lago, uh, that's it. That's all we got done and provided no oversight. So it's finally time we're going to do that from taxes to uh, illegalities uh, to uh, the Mueller investigation. Um, but it's uh, appropriate and high time we do it. Yeah. What's your sense of whether or not it's possible for a prosecutor to hold the president to account legally or whether they have to wait until he leaves office? I, you know, I realize it's never been adjudicated. Yeah, this has been an administration of firsts, right? We don't know on many fronts, but I have confidence that we will ultimately get the, the a fair resolution as we need to. 
It's just it may be uh, more work given how this president operates. Yeah, yeah, and he's operating in a very, very bizarre fashion. And Flynn indictment last night was absolutely fascinating and what it said exactly. and what it didn't say. You know, it was absolutely exactly. fascinating. Tom Harbin here with you. Congressman Mark Pocan is with us. And we have callers from Louisiana, Washington, California, Michigan, North Carolina, California, Nevada, Andy in Belmont, Michigan. You're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Hey, gentlemen. Hey, um, Congressman, since uh, our governor has just been reelected, I mean, not reelected, since we have a new governor, governor's trying to ram that uh, line through underneath the straits, that line five. He's going to put it through with a, uh, a underneath the straits with a pipe to put the pipe into because our, our reelected, or, I mean, excuse me, our elected governor, she decided she does not want to do that. We're going to have him pull it. I just want to know what your opinion is on that line five, and did they ask you, uh, the Wisconsin legislature, anything about putting that pipeline back in there underneath that uh, pipe? It's a pipeline through the Straits of Mackinac, right? Yeah, pipeline five. Yeah, Congressman. Yeah, Andy, I, I don't know much about the Michigan. I, I quite honestly, yesterday before I left to come to Washington, I stopped to visit my friends at the Capitol that were going to be dealing with all this. Um, yeah, I think from what I understand is the same thing is happening in Michigan, although you guys are even doing more policy. We did more around taking away powers of the governor and attorney general. You guys are doing last-minute policy items uh, trying to usurp the voters' will. So i sorry I don't have a more definite answer because I've been busy following Wisconsin the closest. Pam in Amit, Louisiana. Am I saying that right, Pam? Yes, you are. You're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Good morning. How are you? Good, Pam. I have been following... Um, the proceedings of Robert Mueller and the uh, NEET. I'm a member of the NEET to impeach um, program, but I just wanted to say I don't think we're going to need that. Um, I think um, the president will be in there making deals with Robert Mueller to save his son and his son-in-law, and we won't need to impeach. I think he'll resign. We'll, we'll see, Pam. I'll tell you, I, I'm just glad that um, we've been able to preserve this very um, thorough review that uh, Robert Mueller's doing, the fact that already in you know, less than two years has, um, I think, close to 40 or maybe it's over 40 now indictments. It's been very efficient. Don't forget, we spent four years on Benghazi with zero indictments, two years on Hillary Clinton's emails with zero indictments. Uh, this is a functioning process, and we need to make sure it continues. We're going to have to continue to do that, but, you know, come January 3rd, I think you've got the cavalry coming in, so let's see this to its completion. Is it Lewis or Luis in Salisbury, North, North Carolina? Lewis. Hey, Lewis, you're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Oh, thank you so much. And how you doing, Tom? Good. Uh, Congressman, um, there's, I live here in North Carolina, and I'm, and I'm sure you uh, understand the same thing is happening, similar, I guess, what's going on in Wisconsin. Could you tell me if there's any difference in what Wisconsin doing uh, trying to do to their governor, like what North Carolina is trying to do to their governor, and and is this a trend that Republicans are trying to do to undermine our democracy? And you also stated that there was some Democrats that was doing some kind of like gerrymandering or anything of that nature. Could you tell us who that might have been? Sure, sure. So. Um so that last part, just because it's fresh in mind, I think, you know, there are some states, uh, quite honestly, if you look at Illinois, uh, for example, um, they probably have gerrymandering from a Democratic perspective. Um, end of the day, uh, I think Iowa has the single best system in the country, a citizens panel, districts are fair, elections are real, and, um, you know, I don't think we should be afraid of having fair elections, period. Uh, to the other question, um, it's very similar. In fact, we've consulted folks in North Carolina what's happening. This is a trend. Republicans who don't get their way in elections then find another way to scam the system. It's very third-world dictatorship uh, in style, and that's what they're doing in Wisconsin and Michigan right now, just like two years ago uh, happened in North Carolina. I expect there'll be legal challenges. I expect they'll lose some aspects of it, but it's um, totally trying to circumvent what the voters decided in November. James in Spokane, Washington. You're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Congressman, I'd like to ask if you think possibly some of the rules of Congress should be like enshrined in the Constitution so that they're not manipulated every two or four years. I mean, specifically, the Speaker of the House can block legislation from coming to the floor for two years. That, that seems kind of inefficient. Thank you. 
Yeah, James, I, I haven't put a lot of thought to it, so I'm actually, you could probably, you could see me, you could see my head is cocked as I'm thinking through this right now. I mean, I do think that um, you have to be fluid with rules. Right now, Donald Trump has made us need rules that we've never had in place because we've never had any president act like he does. So I, I don't know if, you know, trying to change the Constitution is the answer because that makes things very difficult. But obviously, uh, we don't want to give too much power to any individual when, especially in the House of Representatives, we're the closest to the people. People can unelect us every two years, so you want to keep that very fluid. So I'm not sure if the Constitution makes the most sense, but we certainly are having to come up with new ways of looking at things given the abuses by this administration. Yeah, and the rapid changes in the filibuster rules in the Senate, too. It's like this is happening all over. Mike in Spooner, Wisconsin. Hi, Tom. Hi, uh, Congressman Polkan. What can be done to get rid of the changes that the lame duck session in Wisconsin has done to kneecap Governor-elect Evers. Can we bring suit as a group of voters against Boss and Fitzgerald and possibly Governor Walker? Ironically, that's one of the things that they try to curtail the Attorney General being able to do suits, that they want the legislative approval. But uh, there will be lawsuits, no question. This is similar to what happened in North Carolina two years ago. Just the provision around early voting Something very similar was found unconstitutional previously. So I'm guessing now we will get to spend lots of taxpayer dollars for these efforts to usurp the voters by the Republicans. And we'll win on some, we won't on others, but there will be lawsuits without question. William in Silver Springs, Nevada, you're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Hi. We had spoken uh, before about restoring Pell Grants for my uh, 18-year-old. And this year, uh, my payments for my house and my property taxes are up $3,000. And I really need to relieve. I was wondering if you could advance that bill that you had told me you had written, and that's some of the business that the Democrats could do right away. Yeah, William, so I think on the good news front, um, absolutely, we're going to do a higher education reauthorization. Uh, we will address the, the issues around financial aid, and there is strong support among the Democratic caucus for that. So that's the good news. Still tough news is the Senate has not changed, and Lamar Alexander has been a major stumbling block in the Senate as a former Secretary of Education when it comes to financial aid. So it's not necessarily a complete 100% that it's going to happen, but we can absolutely get it out of our house and have a bargaining power we never had before. And I hope we'll do that because the worst thing that could possibly happen to someone who's smart enough and talented enough not be able to get in higher education simply because they can't afford it. That's not what this country is about. Mick in Santa Cruz, California. You're on the Earth Congress in Pocan. Yes, good morning, Tom and Mark. Um, thank you again for taking my call. For the children that are still incarcerated in the uh, camps uh, in uh, Texas, so we spoke about this about a month and a half ago, and I haven't seen anything moving forward to liberate them from their predicament. I would like to, uh, I'm mainly concerned about this lame deck session that's going on in Congress. Uh, what, if the Republicans do what they're doing in Wisconsin, can they not do the same in uh, Congress in the United States? You know, that is a great question. And I had, and I told Tom this uh, weeks ago, I was afraid that they could do a whole lot of uh, damage with the last chance to have the House, the Senate, and the White House. The good news is the ineptitude of the last eight years is continuing in the last uh, month that they can't corral their own members, the fights among the Tea Party and the rest, and Paul Ryan doesn't know how to govern. All of that has made it that um, they're barely able to even get the funding bills done and the farm bill and a couple must-do things. I don't think they're going to come in with other separate legislation. Now, we do have to watch for riders on this final appropriations bill. We are watching that, and the good news I think is uh, when we take over, absolutely we can start defunding some of the detention beds and going after that very aggressively with Democrats in control. So there is good news on the horizon, and uh, I guess the good news right now is Republicans' ineptitude is working for us right now, and let's ride out the next few weeks and, and hopefully not have the same damage at the federal level. Perry in Granite Bay, California, you're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Uh, good morning, Congressman. Um, not to beat a dead horse, but I wanted to talk about gerrymandering and also our voting rights. Why can't we in Congress come up with a federal law that states must follow a straight grid system? So that way we don't have all of the funky districts and all the gerrymandering going on. And why in Congress um, can't we do like compulsory voting 
to get rid of voter suppression or vote by mail so that we don't have to stand in line and um, can actually take our time and vote. And we can wait a month to get the results. We're, we're adults. We can wait to get final results. Um, what do you think about that? Yeah, so uh, H.R. 1, the very first bill next session, will be a bill by the Democrats uh, that has electoral, campaign finance, and ethics reform. So it's a good government package coming out, dealing with dark money, dealing with a lot of the abuses by the Trump administration ethics-wise, and dealing with voting rights. So I think you're going to see that come out of the gate as the first bill. We'll have hearings. We'll be talking about it and moving it forward. The problem is we still have a Republican Senate and White House. So... Um, we will talk about gerrymandering because that's something we have been saying is an abuse that has to be addressed. We will talk about voting rights. I'm not sure if we'll talk about vote by mail or, or that. It might be more around ensuring paper ballots on machines, ensuring ways to make sure people aren't dumped off a list, ensuring uh, people have a, a right to vote in places where it's very difficult to vote. Those are, are for sure. I'm not sure about the one item that you mentioned, but that will be uh, at the forefront of what we deal with in the next session. And uh, right now, many of us are working to make sure the strongest possible provisions are put in that bill. Ron in Stillwater, Minnesota, you're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Hi, Tom. Um, I just got done reading the Wisconsin Constitution, and it says that the legislature has the right to determine the job description of the attorney general. And also, the legislature is the only one that can propose amendments to the Constitution. The people of Wisconsin can't use a referendum to do that. So i just like your comments on that. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think that's a legislative power almost anywhere as far as, you know, uh, what responsibilities might be to a certain type of job. The problem is they never wanted to do it until they lost the position of attorney general, which is why we're kind of crying foul uh, with what they're doing. They want now oversight over it. The second part is true. Wisconsin, we don't have binding referendums. We have advisory only. We had uh, both legalization of marijuana and medical marijuana on ballots where about 50% of the people in the, country, in the state of Wisconsin voted. Overwhelmingly, they passed, and yet you'll see no action come out of the legislature. I do think sometimes, you know, binding referendums are a tricky business. California is still paying for a very bad tax one decades ago. But I do think that, you know, the more we can have people having a say, especially if Republican lawmakers are going to be this abusive, uh, we need to figure out how to curtail, curtail their powers. Ken in Great Falls, Montana, you're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Yeah, thanks for taking my call. Um, I'm concerned about climate change, uh, what path we're taking. I've worked in the industry for so long, I think a lot of us really want a carbon tax. So I'm wondering if you what the path looks like now that we have some light at the end of the tunnel. Yes, my hope, and let me give you a 30,000, and I'll try to get a little more specific, Ken. I mean, you know, we now have a, a new Green Deal proposed, although it's, it's in evolution of what exactly it is. I'm not sure when it's going to be in its final position yet. Uh, we have committees that want to take up real legislation around climate change that we haven't been able to for the last eight years. So this is a good point of time for us to be talking about this and how to get to more renewables. That are in, in, you know, if we invest in, uh, like we put solar in our home uh, back in Wisconsin, um, you know, solar and wind and other renewables are so much more efficient, and yet those are also jobs right here in the United States. Those are strong arguments to have that, and we need to have that debate, and we will have that debate very early. Um, specifically to a carbon tax, there has been uh, a proposal out there uh, to uh, tax carbon that should try to make uh, companies uh, figure out ways. It's a financial incentive for them to try to figure out ways to have less carbon. I think that's a good idea. Um, the proposal right now puts all the money back to consumers. Um, I've always said, just if I had my magic wand, which I don't on this, I would like to see some of that money go towards research and development in renewables because it does take a little more investment in that area to make this really expand in the way we need to. And somehow we're going to have to find funding to get that done as well. Brian in Grant, Michigan, listening on AM 1680. You're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Hi. Um, Congressman, I think that the Democrats need to stop talking about the minimum wage and start talking about a maximum wage. I'm thinking specifically about 50 times whatever they pay their median employee or 75 times whatever they pay their least paid employee and make that the rallying cry instead of minimum wage because that way um, the wealthy can make as much as they want as long as they bring everybody else with them. So I, I think a couple of things. One, we can do things on multiple fronts. We should raise minimum wage because 
long, long overdue. We should make it easier for people to collectively bargain, to have a say in their workplace, and to bargain for their wages. Uh, but the provision you're talking about is a provision that um, Barbara Lee actually has a bill. Before that, it was Congressman Sabo out of Minnesota that had a link, and I believe it's 25 to 1. Um, you can deduct uh, wages up to 25 times your lowest paid employee. So all these excessive amounts that are paid to people, you could still pay that to a person, but you wouldn't be able to deduct it as a business expense because it would be considered unreasonable because of how low you're paying your lowest paid employee. So there have been ideas like that put forward. I, I haven't heard much about whether or not that will be uh, proposed again or put out next session, but I, I do think we can approach this from multiple fronts. And for me, especially as, a, as someone who comes from a union background, you know, making sure that collective bargaining rights are, are it's much easier to be able to organize and have a, a unified voice is of crucial importance if you're going to raise wages. Bill in Amherst, Mass., listening to WHMP. You're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Hi, Congressman Pocan. I'm, I'm so impressed with how uh, quickly you can think your way through all these challenging questions. I just want to make a brief comment about the upcoming agenda for the Democrats and the Congress. There's this ongoing messaging that says, are you going to investigate or are you going to create policy? And I feel like it's, that's a false dichotomy that investigation from the Republican perspective, is often been, who can we punish? But I really feel like that Democrats need to have a message called, we're holding people accountable and we're encouraging people to behave and we're overlooking what they're doing and suggesting how they might do it rather than trying to figure out who to blame and who to catch. So I just think it's, it's, it's undermining of, of the larger perspective when you say, are you going to do one thing or are you going to do the other, as if there's a split that, that makes good sense, and I don't think there is. Thank you. Bill, I think that's a terrific point. And I've been saying, you know, you know, you can walk and chew gum, right? We can put policy initiatives to pass to show the direction we should be going. Um, so we give some aspirational goals for people to see what's possible. And we can also do what Congress has not done for two years, which is provide meaningful oversight over this administration and the agencies uh, that we have responsibility. When you have a committee called Oversight and Government Reform, Oversight is in their name, uh, as will judiciary, as will intelligence, as will every committee has oversight responsibilities. So we can absolutely do both, and we should, and I appreciate your point. With all the recent news about online security breaches, it's hard not to worry about where my data goes. Making an online purchase or simply accessing your email could put your private information at risk. You are being tracked online by social media sites, marketing companies, and your mobile and internet provider now that the Republicans have destroyed net neutrality. That's why I decided to take back my privacy by using ExpressVPN. ExpressVPN has easy-to-use apps that run seamlessly in the background of my computer, phone, and tablet. Turning on ExpressVPN protection only takes one click. ExpressVPN secures and anonymizes your internet browsing by encrypting your data and hiding your public IP address. Protecting yourself with ExpressVPN costs less than $7 a month. Protect your online activity today and find out how you can get three months free at expressvpn.com slash Tom. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S vpn.com slash T-H-O-M for three months free with a one-year package. Visit expressvpn.com slash Tom to learn more. Mike in Fairview, Michigan, watching on Free Speech TV. You're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Hello, uh, Tom. Uh, Congressman, I was wondering... Is there a possibility that we can explore a national holiday for a vote for everybody to have the day off? That was a, that would obviously um, give everybody a chance. Yeah, Mike. You know, I think there's a lot of things we can do. You know, a national holiday, Saturday voting, mail-in voting, which is working extremely well in places like Oregon. Um, uh, early voting. I mean, why do you have to do it all in one day? There's no reason necessarily, and yet that's part of what they were fighting in Wisconsin, because in Madison, Wisconsin, the largest city in my district, we had 93% turnout for the midterm elections. Whoa! Yeah, that's why they're trying to stop it, Tom. That's part of what they're behind. But there are a lot of things you can do to make it easier to vote. And, you know, it doesn't matter if you're a Democrat, Republican, independent, nonpartisan, bipartisan, whatever it is, you should be able... Uh, we should all agree that uh, voting is a good thing. Uh, it's the one great equalizer we have in democracy. The one thing that Took Brothers and my brother and I have in common is that we all have one vote, and that's why it's so important to uh, a vibrant uh, democracy. So I, I think there are many provisions we can do, including the one that you suggested, and I, I hope that we'll do more of that innovative thinking as we move forward. 
Ed in Belfair, Washington. You're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Thanks for watching Free Speech. Uh, good morning, Congressman. My question has to do with the new Congress coming in and all the young people. I've been in the union for over 32 years, and I encourage anybody when they, when they get hired to speak up. Why is it that same old people are constantly talking on the floor of the Congress when I watch C-SPAN? Why don't the new members get an opportunity to get to stand up and speak more often? I don't, I don't get enough um, output from the new people coming in. It seems like it's constantly the same old people. The only, pe- the only place I see new people coming on board and getting to talk is on Tom's show, Tom's show, and I appreciate that. I'll take your uh, answer off the phone. Thank you. Sure, Ed. You know, I think the problem might be slightly different. The problem is who covers who's speaking. So when the corporate media only covers 20 people as if there's only 20 members of Congress, that then you only see them uh, because really there are no barriers to us getting on the floor. Um, you may, by your seniority, not be the first person to speak on an issue, but there's almost always time to speak on the floor. And for the really new members, they're not elected yet. They're not going to have floor time until January 3rd. But I guarantee they're going to be a vocal group. It's a very vibrant, exciting uh, group of new people that just got elected. So it's really our problem more is who gets covered. Um, and uh, I don't quite have the answer. Tom and I have had this discussion uh, many times with the listeners. Um, it, it is one of our trickiest parts. Yeah, it's, it's a really difficult one. We, we just have 20 seconds of the break, Congressman. Has there been any more discussion in your caucus about creative theater, theatrical politics, to draw the attention of the media? You know, I, I, you're already seeing it with some of the newest members. Uh, this week at that Harvard training for freshmen, I saw a number of the more progressive members, uh, CPC members, hold a rally outside of the training on health care for all. Uh, huh. That's different, and it caught attention, and I love it. That's great. That's great. We, we need more of that. That is great stuff. Absolutely. Thomas in my hometown, Lansing, Michigan. You're on the air with Congressman Pocan, Thomas. How are you, Congressman? Um, student loan debt, as you know, is now a crisis. You know, 1.5 trillion old. It's killing young people. And it's also killing parents who took out some of these loans for their children to, the good, to get a good education. With this new Congress coming in, will this topic finally be addressed? And do you see anything being done in the near horizon? Yeah, Thomas, I think there's very good prospects. So the first bill ever introduced into Congress was when I came into Congress back in 2013 on being able to refinance student debt. You know, you, people are stuck with really high interest loans. Uh, the interest rates were down quite a bit, and yet you can refinance your house or car but not your debt. Uh, that's something that we should be able to pass, and, and it should be a bipartisan issue. Student debt-free college is a proposal that uh, we have uh, come up with through the Progressive Caucus, working with groups like Demos and other national groups. Uh, the idea is that you should be able to go to a four-year public institution and leave with no debt. Now, that requires you probably to work 10 or 12 hours a week in work-study, but we have a bill that incentivizes universities and states to help make that happen. I think those are all some real ideas we can put out there, in addition to other ideas that have been out there on free tuition and uh, trying to create more opportunities for financial aid. Those are priorities, and I think we have the higher education reauthorization that will happen this session. Now, we still have a Republican Senate and President, but I think we've got some uh, good ways to bring those ideas forward and actually have them hit the floor of Congress. Denise in Calumet, Michigan. You're on with Congressman Pocan. Hi. Thank you for taking my call. <clears throat> Congressman Pocan, yesterday we heard in Michigan that the Republicans are trying to take away <clears throat> any minimum wage laws. They don't want to raise any minimum wage ever in statewide. Yeah, I know. This is your legislature is doing kind of like Wisconsin. Wisconsin, though, went after powers of the governor a little more. You folks seem to be going after issues a little more, and um, you already have term limits, so you've got a group of folks, uh, sometimes I think a little too tight at term limits. By the third term, they're all looking to cash out and work as lobbyists and other things. But, um, you know, you've got to go after the gerrymandering in your state um, because that's the single best way to try to uh, fix what they're doing and not allow them to get away with it. Um, But, you know, my best to you as you're moving forward, because I saw some of the provisions uh, just briefly that they're recommending in Michigan. And, and in many ways, while they're not going after individuals' power, they're going after some pretty substantial issues. Yeah. Marta in Big Bear Lake, California, you're on the air with Congressman Pocan. Hi. 
Yes, I, this is related. I wonder if there's any way to push for a massive investment in higher education. Republicans are attacking the entire institution. Across the nation, college instructors are on food stamps. Their salaries are extremely low. Student loans are extremely high. In California, and we've built 23 prisons and only four universities in the past four decades. Uh, so what can we do? Yeah, Marta, so I, I, I tell you, this is part of why this proposal around debt-free college I'm most excited by because there's some appeal to people uh, who may not necessarily be supportive of an idea like free tuition because of the cost. What the idea does is uh, it's more than just your tuition, right? You're paying tuition, you have uh, living expenses, you have books, which have gotten very expensive. This proposal takes all of those costs into consideration and says you should be able to leave with a four-year degree from a public institution with no debt whatsoever. And what that does is we incentivize, give some additional financial aid, uh, make sure states don't increase their uh, tuition too excessively. And uh, the universities have to put a little skin in the game by some of the positions that students will work through work-study. But by doing this, uh, we're able to make it so that someone could do 10 or 12 hours a week in work-study and leave with a four-year degree with zero debt whatsoever, and that includes all expenses. I think that's an exciting proposal. Uh, there may be tweaks to it. We're open to having those conversations but I think that's the kind of idea that still keeps the universities strong with the funding they need and not having the stranglehold that many states have been doing by cutting back and provides the, the help that students need to get that higher education. What should we be looking for in the week ahead? The week ahead, so we're in for two more weeks now because we couldn't get our job done and figure out funding of government. So watch that. Uh, be ready to make calls. They try to put border funding in, even though the Senate has it. In the House, many of us will not support border funding, but we're going to look for a lot of other things. So be ready to be an activist in the remaining two weeks that we're in session. Yeah, there you go. Congressman Mark Pocan, thank you so much for being with us, Congressman. Of course. Thank you so much, Tom. Great talking with you here on the Tom Hartman Program. You can contact Congressman Pocan's office, or you can see his website. Well, you can do both. <laughs> okay, gov. You can uh, tweet him at Rep. Mark Pocan. Let's check in with Talk Media News and find out what's going on in the world today. This report brought to you by GoatsForTheOldGoat.com and Ellen Ratner's new book, Loving What You Do. On the line with us live from London is Ellen Ratner. London, Ellen, welcome. I am in London. How cool is that? Well, what's going on in the world, Ellen? Okay, well, what's going on in the world is that they are saying there's more firepower now in Afghanistan in the first 10 months than there has been in 2011, which was the largest year. They had 54 missiles in, uh, in Afghanistan in 2011, 6,000 this year, if you can imagine. Wait a minute, missiles that we shot or that the, the, the bad that guys we shot, shot? That we, the United States of America, got it. So even though we've reduced our troop levels, we've massively increased the amount of ordnance we're dropping on the people power. of Afghanistan. That's right. Oh, uh, okay. Okay, right. so what else is going on? Okay, in Wisconsin, it's very interesting. The Senate now has a bill. There is a development corporation. Generally, the governor, governor has been able to choose who would chair that, who would chair the uh, development corporation. Uh, however, basically, uh, they are not. Uh, the Wisconsin legislature uh, wrote out something saying that the governor is not going to be allowed to pick the chair that the, uh, the legislature will, and of course the legislature is controlled by Republicans, and the governor is a, a Democrat, so there you have it. Yeah, yeah, and in Michigan they're, they're pulling similar games. This is what they did in North Carolina two years ago. I, I think this is gonna be the new normal for Republicans. It's, they cannot win elections. The only way that they can hold power is to rig the game. Uh, Democrats got more, and more votes. And they're yeah, Democrats got more votes for the state assembly in Wisconsin and for the House of Representatives in Michigan, and yet Republicans control both those bodies. I mean, this is this is not right. Now, also on the EPA, it looks like the Trump administration is going to try and weaken the laws on greenhouse emissions through the EPA. Uh, and the EPA, as you know, uh, decides and makes rules about this, and it looks like the Trump administration is going to weaken it. Why yeah. am I not surprised? Yeah. Yeah, more, more deaths from cancer, more global warming, uh, more polluted waterways, more poisoned air, uh, and Donald Trump and the Republicans get to get more campaign contributions. 
Of course, yeah. because, you know, it's interesting. I'm in London. I had uh, lunch with somebody who is a Republican, and, oh, she thinks that Trump is the best thing since sliced bread. Oh, my. That, that must have oh, been an interesting what, lunch. what he's doing in terms of good. And I said, hey, look, the deficit's gone up 17%. Oh, no, it hasn't. I said, you look it up. The deficit has gone up 17%. Yeah, and so is the debt. or the, Not that much, but yeah, yeah, absolutely. Right. Okay, um, so now also, also Donald Trump has, as you know, originally he threatened China with the tariffs, then he took it away. Now he's threatening them again. Right. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what this does to the markets tomorrow. They've been closed in the United States today, but I understand the European markets were down today. Right. Well, it's going to be very interesting. Of course, Donald Trump uh, did shake hands with President uh, Obama when he went to uh, the service for mm -hmm. President Bush 41. Um, he sat with the other presidents. And so that was that. Yeah. I, apparently, before he got there, before Trump showed up, all the former presidents and their wives were all chatting with each other and everybody was smiling and talking. Trump shows up and everybody just sits stone-faced. quiet. That's yeah. Right. It just went suddenly silent. It's so weird. Ellen Ratner, Talk Media News. Thank you, Ellen. Thank you. Thanks so much for being with us today. We'll be back tomorrow. In the meantime, don't forget democracy is not a spectator sport. It requires all of us, including you. Get out there, get active, tag, you're it. See you You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com.